Life Audio. Hello, and welcome to Kainos Project. I'm Dale. And I am Tamara. And we're here to help you tackle ancient truths in everyday settings. Indeed we are. Do you ever have a situation where someone comes up to you and just wants to like pour their heart out to you? All the time. You get that way more than I do, right? But the thing is that I'm just going through life trying to be left alone. And whether I'm at a coffee shop, at a bus stop... A bus in the stop. grocery when are store. You at a bus stop? Don't worry about it. I've I travel a lot. I've never seen you at a bus stop in the entire time I've known Actually, you. Actually, when I was on a trip, I was at the airport uh, waiting for my flight reading, and I had headphones in. Oh, no. And someone was like telling me their life story. But that just happens. People just like to tell me their life story. I guess I have a non threatening presence, even though I, I, I don't seem to invite it. You I mean, don't. and once they start talking to me, I feel empathetic. I want to like, right. be kind to them or whatever. But like, if you beforehand said, would you rather have nobody talk to you right now or have somebody tell you a very in-depth version of their life story, I would choose the former rather than the latter. But the latter seems to happen more frequently. It's so interesting because I would assume I'm the one who like loves conversation, loves to be welcoming and chatty, but people don't just walk up and start chatting with me. Maybe I'm not as friendly and warm as I think I am. No comment. <laughs> Thanks. You're the best. Uh, recently, I've had a series of conversations with friends who have had some pretty heavy life situations. And those situations um, where I don't actually know what to say to them. I don't know how to solve their dilemma. I don't know which piece of advice is going to be the best kind of advice. And oftentimes I want to be the good Christian that offers encouragement and hope and, you know, light in the midst of their darkness. But what do you do when you don't actually have those kind of words of encouragement in that moment? Yeah, there's definitely some helpful things that you can say and some unhelpful things. And I feel like a lot of times as Christians, we say some unhelpful things. So in a minute, we'll talk about those and then maybe some other ways that we can go about it. Hi, everyone. If you've been injured in an accident that was not your fault, listen up. We have legal professionals standing by to answer your questions for free. Call now and find out if you have a case and how much it's potentially worth. Call 800-497-4410. I'm here with spokesman John Wolfe. So, John, tell everyone listening who should call right now. Well, Maria, first off, thank you for having me here. It's always nice to answer the listeners' questions. Now, as far as who should call in... Anyone who's been injured in an accident and think you deserve compensation, give us a call right now. 800-497-4410. You'll find out if you have a case and how much it's potentially worth. Thanks, John. You heard it, folks. Take advantage of this opportunity and call now. 800-497-4410. Advertisement sponsored by Legal Help Center may not be available in all states. Hi, I'm Rebecca Scott. As a servant of God, wife, and mother of four, I understand the juggle of multiple roles and stages. That's why I created the Encourager podcast to help guide us through the messy middle stage of life. Join me on the Encourager as we challenge the chaos and embrace harmony. Together, we'll create practical systems to balance your roles and fulfill priorities. And we will do it while having joy and energy for both home and work life. Tune in for inspiring stories and interviews, actionable tips, and methods to do both home and work life. Because here, we believe you can do all things, just not all at once.
All right, so a friend comes to you with some kind of situation in their life, a tragedy, a difficulty. You want to be empathetic in the moment. What do you do? What do you not do? And is there truth from the Bible that helps us get at that? And how do we deliver that truth in a way that is helpful? You're asking a lot of questions, but yes, that is (laughs) essentially what we're going to be talking about today. I think oftentimes, again, Christians have a, we feel obligated to offer encouragement and hope. We can read over and over and over about like finding joy in suffering and rejoice in the Lord always and um, looking at the aspects of our life that we're grateful for and being thankful to the Lord for the, the things he has given us. Um, but I think we always want to end up at that rejoice in your suffering before dealing with anything else underneath. Like we just want to jump right over what's actually happening and just get to the rejoicing part. I don't think it's because people want to be pushing aside what's happening in their life, but they don't think there's room within their faith to actually do anything other than rejoice. Yeah, and this is something that's been referred to, you know, in public discourse as spiritual bypassing, where whatever the bad situation is, you want to bypass it with some kind of spiritual platitude. It's also been referred to as toxic positivity, which, you know, those within the evangelical world, um, (laughs) kind of as a culture, we kind of suffer from that, where everything is up and to the right, everything is happy, happy, I'm blessed, uh, even when things are bad, it could be worse or whatever. Um, we always want, even if there is, you know, horrible conflict or tragedy or whatever it might be underneath, our impulse is that because we're good Christians and good Christians are supposed to be joyful because we have the Holy Spirit, then we're not even really allowed to acknowledge those things. And so we kind of put the veneer of whatever the platitude might be um, that kind of bypasses whatever might be going on. I think there are some who are aware of that. Like, oh, difficulty in life's happening. Like, let me put up this mask or let me put up this wall because I am supposed to be the good Christian. I've been a Christian for X amount of years. I shouldn't be dealing with this. I shouldn't be um, enduring this kind of a matter in my life, whether it's sin, whether it's relational issues. But then I think there's an another group of people that... They just don't quite understand what they're supposed to do with these moments. They know the end goal is to rejoice and be joyful in the Lord, right? But they don't know how to get there. And so they just I'm automatically like, okay, Lord, I'm rejoicing in this moment. I don't really know what else to do, but I'm kind of dying inside. And interestingly enough, the Bible does give us insights into what we are supposed to do in those really sorrowful moments. There's really painful moments or even moments that are full of like anger and outrage. How do we get to that piece of scripture that talks about rejoice in the Lord always when we're sitting and dealing with some pretty heavy things in our lives? Again, some might throw up the mask, but I think others just don't really know what we're supposed to do with it. And, There's a section in scripture that is all about this. And 
I wish these were passages of scripture that were taught on more, that were studied, that were presented on Sunday mornings. I know they don't always lend to like the emotional vibe you want to have on Sundays, but as we think about our faith and as we think about really opening up our life for Jesus to take all of us and transform all of us, it's so critical for us to know what to do in these moments of deep sorrow and in these moments of anger and outrage. How do we take those emotions before the Lord? Can we take them before the Lord? And how do we end up at that place where we see all throughout the New Testament talking about rejoicing the Lord? Right. And so where is the place that you go when you're feeling some kind of way about something? Typically, it's to your Spotify playlist. And you might have a playlist of songs that are your happy songs. You might have your relaxed songs. And you might have your workout songs, which are pretty angry in nature. And so we have an ancient Spotify. This is like the most youth pastor metaphor. <laughs> oh, yeah, yeah. Ever, I'm looking at you like, what, is hap- what transition is happening Hold on. right now? We're going to get there. There's an ancient Spotify with a couple different playlists on it. It's called the Book of Psalms. And there are some happy, happy, joy, joy psalms that are in there. Thanksgiving psalms, yeah. But that's really only about, was it like a third of the psalms are happy psalms? Yes. And um, there's a lot of other stuff in there. And two different types of psalms that we want to look at today are lament psalms and imprecatory psalms. But we'll start with the sad ones and move to the heavy metal ones after that. Yeah, that that's exactly it. It reminds me of a joke somebody made recently that said something about like why Taylor Swift is so popular. She's pop sad. Oh yeah, pop sad. She's pop sad. Like it's a whole pop sad is a whole genre that is really clearly making a lot of money right now. Right, yeah. So, anyways, this is not pop sad, it's just Sad, 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 sad. (laughs) So let's talk about lament psalms. Um, Maybe you're familiar with them. Maybe you've never heard that word a day in your life. For me, I was not aware of lament psalms until seminary when I was actually told there's different types of psalms. Sure, if I was probably paying close enough attention, I could have categorized them in that way, but... But who's paying that close attention when you're trying to get through the Bible in 365 days, right? <laughs> it's a lot to take in, you know, and then to to step back and look at all of Psalms and say, oh, I wonder what different types of categories there are in the largest book in the Bible. Right. You weren't sitting in your bedroom at age 16 doing text criticism or no. <laughs> comparative analysis of different Psalms. No, I was like writing poems. I think I thought I was going to be an artist in some way. Anyways, I was sad, sad. And now you're a podcaster. So it's kind of same, same. I don't know. Not, not same, same. I feel like podcasters is, is the people that couldn't be artists, but we we still wanted to put something out there. We do a podcast. I mean, anybody can do a podcast. That part's true. true. So let's actually get into what we're going to talk about. And first, like you said, we're going to talk about lament Psalms. So you might be wondering, what does that mean? Does that just mean, I'm going to read a psalm and it's going to make me cry. Does it just give me liberty to cry in my prayers? Um, Not exactly. So lament psalms are about more than crying or venting or just being raw with your emotions. There's 
certainly elements of that, but really what lament psalms are is they're seen in scripture as a prayer opening up about the author's pain, fears, sorrows, and it's really this divine invitation to genuinely share the deep matters of your heart, but with the purpose of trusting God in the end of that situation and scenario. And what's interesting about these psalms right off the bat is that while some of them are written more as like personal poems and are intended to be taken that way, uh, the book of Psalms is a songbook really for worship and was used by um, ancient Israel. And so uh, some of these lament psalms are actually like meant to be sung corporately, like we're corporately singing about yeah. sorrow. And so that's another interesting mm-hmm. aspect of that where you wouldn't walk into an evangelical church on Sunday and for the most part hear any kind of really like sorrowful kind of a song. You know, there's a few that kind of are, are a little bit of more oriented towards lament than others. Um, but that was actually more normative for um, the the people of Israel as they look to the book of Psalms. Yeah, there's a lot of richness in the book of Psalms. And especially when you look at the lament aspect of it, there aren't too many other places that are, are so raw and honest about this side of the human experience and the human emotions. And oftentimes we try and just uh, create theology and um, structures around the way our faith is supposed to look. And it's easy to do that to the point that you become void of most of what you experience as a human, right? It's just like you said, all on the up and up. But um, the lament psalms are drastically different. And I recently was reading about the lament psalms and heard it phrased this way. And I thought, well, this, I think this so succinctly describes what we ought to um, expect in the lament psalms and even when we have moments of lamenting in our prayers. And so this person says, talking to God instead of getting sinfully angry or embittered requires biblical conviction. Laying out the messy struggles of your soul and then asking again and again for God to help you requires a solid theological mooring. Laments turn toward God when sorrow tempts you to run away from him. And I've heard people say like, oh, you, you can even, you can be so honest with God. Like you can just cuss him out. You can say whatever you want. And I don't think that's what's happening in this section of Psalms, right? It is a sense of honesty. It's a sense of vulnerability. It's a sense of messiness. But I wouldn't go as far to say like, you can be irreverent before the Lord, right? Well, also too, just like you can cuss somebody out, like is also like not quite being straightforward with like whatever emotion anyways. So like that's mm. kind of a bad example to yeah. to begin with it like Yeah. Yeah, so. Yeah. Like it, it goes from talking about uh coming as you are and coming before the Lord as you are and it takes it just to this extreme that's like why like why would you go before anybody like that? But yeah. Yeah, and even like that is like not coming as you are because it's like throwing up all kinds of whatever mm-hmm. and not, not actually, actually expressing like, yeah. Yeah. It's another mask, right? 
So we're going to look at a few um, examples of lament psalms. And I tried to find some of the shorter ones so we could actually read the whole psalm. Uh, so bear with me as we go through the whole psalm. Uh, we're going to look at Psalm 3 first, which is one of the examples of a lament psalm. It's the first lament psalm in the Psalter. That's true. Look at that. Psalm 3. Lord, how many are my foes? How many rise up against me? Many are saying of me, God will not deliver him. But you, Lord, are a shield around me. My glory, the one who lifts my head high. I call out to the Lord and he answers me from his holy mountain. I lie down and sleep. I wake again because the Lord sustains me. I will not fear, though tens of thousands assail me on every side. Arise, Lord, deliver me, my God. Strike all my enemies on the jaw. Break the teeth of the the wicked. From the Lord comes deliverance. May your blessing be on your people. Strike that fool on the jaw. Well, there's something about the both the kind of context of this psalm and then also the structure that we want to talk about. But we'll dive into that in just a second. Okay, so as we look at Psalm 3, we can notice a particular structure of the psalm. And this psalm is actually relating to a particular event in David's life, right? Yeah, so this is a psalm uh, written during the time when David was running from his son, Absalom. And all his golden locks. Yes. But imagine running away from your son because he's trying to kill you and take over your throne. And he just has like Fabio hair. Yeah. I mean, that brings anger, but I imagine as a parent, there's also a deep sense of sorrow. Like it's not just anger because somebody is trying to kill you. It's anger mixed with sorrow and pain because this person who is trying to take your life is your own flesh and blood. Right. And so, yeah, that's a that's a real situation. How many of us have found ourselves in a similar situation? <laughs> Hopefully not. I mean, man. if you have, our condolences and Godspeed and the Lord bless you and keep you. Um, but, you know, that's pretty much, you know, on par with some of the most traumatic experiences many of us have had in our lives. And so that's exactly what David is bringing here. And so as you look at the structure of the psalm, too, it kind of starts out with that, you know, lament, the 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 sorrow of, you know, how many are my foes? How many are those who rise up against me? How many people are mocking me? God will not deliver him. But then it kind of turns to like this point of like trust where it says, but you, Lord, are a shield around me, my glory, the one who lifts my head high. I call it to the Lord and he answers from his holy mountain. And it kind of it, it starts with this very real sense of sorrow. And then it kind of turns to this point of trust and then even to victory. Um, the the last part from the Lord comes deliverance and may your blessing be on your people. So it's like this point, it starts low and then it turns to trust and then it ends on the note of kind of triumph or uh, victory even. Yeah, and this does not have to necessarily be the framework of like every single prayer you have, right? To go from that deep sorrow and pain and the unloading of your situation and describing it. Because you see David describing it. Obviously, the no- the Lord knows what's happening to David, right? But there's something in sharing your heart and sharing the pains of your heart to the Lord. And that comes in just like describing the situation that's happening. 
Uh, so, of course, the Lord knows it, but part of the lament psalms is the authors describing what's happening before the Lord. So they're they're turning to the Lord, calling out to him, describing it. And then there comes this like bold ask for help. And then the trust. So this crying out for help, um, I think sometimes we don't do that in our prayers. Sometimes we just go from like, Lord, I know you hear me. Can you please be in the midst of this situation? May your will be done. And I'm trusting your will will be done. Amen. But you haven't really like walked through that process, even in your prayer life. And there comes a point where we really ought to bear that situation before the Lord and even like boldly ask him for help. Um, depending on like where your denominational tradition is, there are some who will only pray like, and Lord, if it be your will and Lord, if it be your will. But oftentimes we see within scriptures, like Lord, please change this situation. Like you can make a miracle happen. Like please intervene and and let your miracle be done. And that's a different sense of pleading and dependence on the Lord than just this submissiveness to the will of God. Obviously, you want to be within the will of God, right? But do our prayers always have to only reflect, Lord, whatever your will is, let it be. Is that a true cry of our heart versus, Lord, this is all I can see in this situation And I so desperately need you to move. I so desperately need you to change what's happening before me rather than a prayer of, Lord, my marriage is falling apart and may your will be done. Like they're just, they're different. It's a different coming before the Lord. It's a different exposure of your heart before the Lord. And it's a different relationship. Right. Yeah. So we want to look at another one. This is Psalm 12. And this one is actually a more corporate lament psalm so just as we read this imagine like four on the floor drum kicks with like a fog machine and synthesizer sounds and stage lights imagine if (laughs) it was set to this i can't imagine anything else when i read this psalm. yes it says help lord for no one is faithful anymore for those who are loyal have vanished from the human race everyone lies to their neighbor they flatter with their lips but harbor deception in their hearts. May the Lord silence all flattering lips and every boastful tongue. Those who say, by our tongues we will prevail, our own lips will defend us. Who is Lord over us? Because the poor are plundered and the needy groan, I will now arise, says the Lord. I will protect them from those who malign them. And the word of the Lord, words of the Lord are flawless like silver purified in a crucible, like gold refined seven times. You, Lord, will keep the needy safe and will protect us forever from the wicked who freely strut about when what is vile is honored by the human race. So again, you can kind of see the turn in there. And I think it's it's also important to note that there are a lot of lament psalms. And so the structure that we described kind of generally speaks to uh, most psalms, but not all of them. In particular, there's one, uh, Psalm 88. It doesn't turn, does it? I think it's the only one that there's not actually any turn at all. I think the last verse of the psalm is, darkness has become my closest ally. 
And so it starts bad. (laughs) Yeah, it straight ends up, like it starts out sad and then it ends Simon and Garfunkel, Hello Darkness, My Old Friend. And oh, so, is that who sings that song? I think so. Oh. I mean... I don't know the name of anybody, but I'll take your word for it. Yeah, but there are some that, that don't come all the way back around. And I think that's worth noting, too, that um, in your lament, you don't have to come all the way back around by the end of the average runtime of like two minutes and 30 seconds or however long mm. a song is. Right. Yeah, exactly. And something else that is important as we look at the Lament Psalms particularly is they don't shy away from descriptively talking about the pain and the details of the pain. And even like asking God, why or when are you going to deliver me or how are these things going to happen? This is truly an act of opening up before God. Um but the end is boldly asking for God to move in ways that, that only he can and trusting that he's going to. I've seen these types of prayers change my faith and grow my faith and grow my relationship with Christ because there uh, would be you know just difficult situations that I'm praying about or something that is truly out of my control and there's not much of a decision for me to make, but I know that something has to give, like something has to change. And so for months and months, I was just praying like, Lord, can you just be in the midst of this and give me joy in the midst of this and allow me to continue to trust in you? And months and months and months of praying that. And I finally was just like, Lord, what what is happening? Why Why haven't you moved yet? Why haven't you changed these things yet? And my prayer became this like lament of the situation that I was living in, of the situation that I was enduring. And the end of that prayer, I was pleading for the Lord to move because I knew that I so desperately depended on him to change what was happening in in the circumstances of my life to the point of knowing there are no options. There are no step, like, you know, next steps for me to take to change what's happening. And I so desperately need God to move. And it's okay for us to pray those kind of bold prayers because we serve a big God who can do those things. And what he wants more than your, you know, theologically accurate prayers is he wants your heart. And he wants you to truly give that over to him. And I think the lament Psalms show us how to do that in a way that, unfortunately, our church services are not showing us how to do it, right? Like we're not hearing teachings on lament Psalms, but there's such a real part of our life that when we're enduring moments of, of just heavy sorrow and heavy pain, coming before the Lord with these types of prayers is so life-giving and it's it has a way of growing your relationship with the Lord and even your trust with the Lord because that's the end goal is for sure you to get to that place of rejoicing in the midst of sorrow but that is also a trust that God is going to care for you through that rather than like okay Lord whatever you're going to do I'm happy anyways 
no, like I'm weeping and I have snot coming out of my nose and I can barely talk. And I am desperately clinging for you to do something about this because I know you're the one who can and I'm trusting that you will. Like those are just two different prayers. And those are the kinds of prayers that we see in the Lament Psalms. And those are the kinds of prayers that we have to, I think, discipline ourselves to pray and give ourselves freedom to pray those kinds of prayers. Yeah, definitely. So those are the Lament Psalms. Those are the sad songs. There are other kind of songs, though. Let's move on to the heavy metal songs. This is your category. Go ahead. The imprecatory (laughs) psalms. Now, the word imprecate, that's not a word that you use a lot. It means to invoke a curse against someone. I imprecate you. (laughs) Jacques! But that's what the imprecatory psalms do. They jacques! Uh, so the psalmist composed them uh, as really as a as a cry out to God when basically human justice has failed them, um, and there are um, opposing forces that are um, tramping them down, that are threatening them and their family. They're oppressing and mistreating people. That there's just a lot of evil and injustice in the world, and as much as we have. Um, policing and justice systems in place like there's always going to be injustice that you know escapes the law and really the imprecatory psalms are one avenue uh, by which uh, the psalmist would bring that to God and say hey God nobody's doing anything about this could you please Hmm. yeah and a few examples which in this section we're not going to read all of them I couldn't really find any incredibly short imprecatory psalms uh so we'll just read just some vivid snapshots yeah exactly uh psalm 58 11 says the righteous will rejoice when he sees the vengeance he will bathe his feet in the blood of the wicked see heavy metal yeah psalm 109 9 may his children be fatherless and his wife a widow that's dark it's pretty pretty hardcore yeah psalm 137 9 Blessed shall he be who takes your little ones and dashes them against the rocks. That one even makes me feel a little, little bit uncomfortable. Yeah, like you wouldn't utter that out loud, right? Right. I mean, I might say like, I wish all his hair falls out or something like that, but I'm, I'm not trying to dash people's babies on the rock. That's pretty it's pretty graphic. It is pretty graphic. Uh, as we read it, like certainly we can kind of make light of these very descriptive, harsh Because that's our coping mechanism. (laughs) That's your coping mechanism. Accurate. Um, But we need to actually look at it like what is really happening in these Psalms? Is this really what the people of God are like pleading for the Lord to do? Um, And so I kind of want to go through and talk about just some insights into these types of Psalms because there might be, yeah, things happening in their world that you are led to this kind of anger and outrage. And um, now whether it's justified anger or not, or righteous anger or not, like is probably a whole nother discussion, but let's assuming it's righteous anger as we look at what these psalmists were doing. Um, so one, the motivation behind these types of prayers is a zeal for God's righteousness and for his honor. Uh, God's reputation and the triumph of his kingdom. Like that's what these people have just like burning in their soul. It's not so much this hatred for 
their their neighbor who's like cutting the grass wrong. Yeah, that's an important thing that it isn't necessarily speaking to like a personal spat that you have with somebody where you felt like they disrespected you or they did you wrong. It's more looking to um, even just like systemic things that are occurring. Um, you know, in the ancient world where they were living, there were constantly uh, skirmishes and wars where um, one people would lord over another people and even within the same society that the rich would lord over the poor and uh, whoever it might be who had the power at that given moment would act, you know, very unjustly and um, violently and oppressively to the people around them. And so this is really what that's speaking to. It's speaking to an issue of justice and not just some kind of squishy sense of justice, but really according to uh, the laws that God had given Israel and that um, the New Testament says the Old Testament law is our tutor for what righteousness looks like. And interesting in the Bible, uh, that word righteousness and justice uh, in the New Testament is actually the same word. And so um, the, it's this sense of corporate justice that uh, where that's violated, um, that's cause for God's judgment and that's really what imprecatory psalms are, are asking for God to deliver on when all the other human systems fail. Mm, right. And it's groups of people. I think, again, that's like really important to look at is it's groups of people. And they're usually classes, classified as like the wicked or those who oppose you, Lord, not yeah, just an individual one single person that they're asking for this to happen to them. Yeah. And just to nuance a uh, when you say a group of people, we're not not talking about like a certain class of people or a certain ethnos right. of people. Yes. Yes. Yeah, not that kind of group of people. But like <laughs> in the like the wisdom literature, the Psalms are part of uh, this part of the Old Testament that's called the wisdom literature. And another book in the wisdom literature is the Proverbs. And the Proverbs talks about people who are the fool, who are you know are are not smart and who are, you know, kind of throw off wisdom. There's those who are simple, who just don't know any better. And then there are those who are like the wicked. And so when you're talking about groups of people, uh, that's what we're talking about is those kinds of categories and not necessarily a people group per se. Um, but the the kind of person, this kind of archetype of a wicked person. And when those right. wicked persons get together, this, this wicked force of, of evil. Yeah. Thanks for clarifying that, um, because you might look at, you know, a group of your colleagues and say, oh, look, those are the wicked people and here are my prayers against them. But that's not what it means by groups of people in this regard. Right. Exactly. So another aspect of these types of Psalms is that it's a cry for judgment and not a cry for hatred. I think that's an important distinction to make is it's a judgment defined by what we see very clearly uh, laid out in the Old Testament of this is the way that people are supposed to be treated as we are all fellow image bearers of God. And there is a sense of just uh, treatment of people who who take on that image. And we should desire justice for systems to not oppress and abuse and... Um, like push out certain groups of people. So there should be a cry for justice for those marginalized groups, not a cry for hatred for the people carrying it out. So I think that's important as we like give ourselves liberty to 
pray these kinds of prayers is we're not just praying out of a sense of deep hatred for somebody else. Yeah, and that relates to New Testament commandments that we have where it says, uh, be angry, but in your anger, do not sin. Right. And there are a lot of places where Paul says, put away all hatred and malice. Uh, and a lot of times he says, put away anger. And what he's talking about there is the kind of anger that is is not a fruitful kind of anger that's going to lead to anything good, but it's something that's leading to bitterness, to malice, to hatred. And so, um, yeah, definitely you want to read everything in balance with the full wisdom of what mm. God has given us. Yeah. Um, we're calling for judgment saying, God, do you not hate evil? Do you not hate wicked things? Do you not hate injustice? Um, that that is congruent with the New Testament commands to put away all malice and hatred. Um, but you definitely, there's some self-evaluation that needs to go on in that process. Yeah. And there is that nuance, right? Like it's not just this blanket thing of like, now you get to pray these prayers and especially those few quotes that we pulled out, like these should not just be incorporated into your prayers. Oh, that you would slay the wicked. Yeah. Maybe, maybe not. And also these are very poetic too. So yes, that's, that's worth noting. Very important is this language is it's poetry poetic. and hyperbole. Yes. yes, yes, and I don't know how poetic your prayers are. Mine are not poetic at all. So this is certainly probably not language that should make it into my prayers. <laughs> wow, well, I mean, there's actually maybe yours one, are poetic, right? There's one uh, song that. Uh, we sing in church sometimes that has an imprecatory uh, yes. bent to it. Um, I can't remember. It's like remember. the heads of my enemies. Yeah, yeah, you bring back the head of my enemy. Yeah. Um, and the first time I heard that, I was like, dang, dude, like my coffee hasn't even like kicked in yet. And already like we're talking about beheadings at eight o'clock in the morning on the Lord's Day. <laughs> That's yeah. as close to an imprecatory psalm I've ever heard in church, though. Yeah. No, and that I have a really hard time singing that line out. Like you bring back the heads of my enemies. Yeah, I can't ever actually like say that line out loud i kind of just like mm-hmm. <laughs> just hum right through it <laughs> that's my favorite line i built it i believe it yeah so in the same way that the lament psalms uh point back to a trust in the lord is the same thing with the imprecatory psalms is they point back to uh the justice and the goodness of god and that again is just important to remember as what is the end goal of these types of prayers? What is the heart behind these types of prayers? And it really is in the goodness and the justice of the Lord. Yeah. So it's not just being like moody and broody for yes, moody for and broody sake. Um, even as much as it's permission to experience the gamut of emotions that God actually gave us mm. on the same side, it's, it's not to overindulge in, um, just a negativity or um, just unforgiveness or being slighted or uh, not wanting to find hope uh, in the hope that Jesus has given us, uh, not to indulge in that, but to experience the full gamut of um, what you're experiencing and not to have to apologize for uh, the road from here to there being a bit windy and a bit uh, messy at some points. 
Yeah. And what you were just saying reminds me um, what a lot of the Psalms do really is allow us this like permission in a lot of ways to express your genuine emotions and to not feel like those need to be stifled in your prayers um, for the sake of arriving at this joyful moment. So a lot of the Psalms, you see them end on these really high notes, right? But they don't start there. And it's okay to have the liberty to not have your prayers start there. When I was, I can't even remember how old I was, but there was a like series on learning how to pray. And I remember was it A-C-T-S? I don't remember it being an acronym. It was like Adoration, Confession, Thanksgiving, Thanksgiving. and Supplication. So that Man, sounds pulling that from Sunday school. <laughs> yeah, you are. I don't I don't remember using that at all, but I remember it starting with Thanksgiving and being like thankful for all the things God has done and giving glory to God. And for years and years that's how I start my prayer like Lord, thank you for the air in my lungs and thank you. like you know you're just going through the list of things you're grateful for because how dare you approach the throne of God and not begin with like how grateful you are for the life he's given you for your salvation like thank you for covering me in the blood of Jesus that I may have walk into eternal life like just all of these types of things and it just makes me think of like those motivational speakers did you wake up with your breath in your lungs today? Uh, yeah. Did yeah. you wake up in the bed? Yeah. Was there a roof over your head? Right. When you woke up? Mm-hmm. Then be thankful. Yes. Amen. Be positive. Right. So, and so, like, I mean, which is like, those are things that's those true, are good I suppose. Things, certainly. But. Yes. There are other realities that I'm experiencing other than those things on any given day. Yeah. And it wasn't until really understanding lament psalms, mainly lament psalms, not necessarily um, imprecatory psalms, but lament psalms that I, I began to give myself the liberty to not necessarily start my prayers off with this sense of like, here's all the things I'm thankful for because... Then as you really get to the things that's troubling you, as you really get to the things that are burdening your heart, you think, well, I mean, I had food today, so why am I, why am I anything less than thankful, right? Like you can, I guess you can kind of like gaslight yourself in your own prayers. Or it's like you have to butter God up before you can Mm, ask him anything. Yeah. So all that to be said, you can be genuine in your emotions and really the pouring out of your emotions in your prayer life should lead you to a further reliance on Christ and a further realization that I truly do desperately need you. You know, I, I am in this situation and I can't see anything else helping me. I can't see any other way out. And sometimes we, it takes moments like that to remember that when Jesus is all you need, he truly is all you need, right? Um, 
And the end, really, it can like rekindle your trust and dependence on Jesus. So you don't have to go in just thinking like, okay, Lord, I know like you're you're in control and I know you're good and I know you're sovereign and you're going to care for these things. So like, I trust that you're going to care for them. Sounds just like such a nervous kid. Yeah. (laughs) Like I know all these things are true, but like, why doesn't my heart believe it? Because I'm sitting knee deep in this situation that is bringing me such turmoil and such pain and sorrow in my life. But I know I can trust you. Like sure. Arrive at that end of knowing that you can trust God, but Maybe you have to take that journey through what's really happening and opening up your heart to Christ to be reminded that you can trust him. And your prayer life can be real and authentic while also bringing about growth in a way that actually makes you more like Jesus. Thanks for listening to the Kainos Project podcast. Thank you also to our partners at Life Audio. Visit lifeaudio.com to find dozens of other faith-centered podcasts in the network, including shows about prayer, Bible study, parenting, and more. If you enjoyed hanging out with us today, consider subscribing to the podcast and leaving a rating and review. And be sure to visit our website, kainosproject.com, for more helpful resources. Thanks again, and we'll see you next time. I found myself on a ledge, three stories high at some condominiums, contemplating my life and struggling to understand my purpose. Have you ever found yourself on the ledge? My name is Billy Yates. I'm a caring father, mentor, and friend. In my new podcast, Billy and the Goat, I share the life-changing events that shaped who I am today to remind you that no matter how far you've fallen, God can help you get up and thrive. Listen now at lifeaudio.com.